to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. I have taught and worked in schools across metropolitan and regional Australia, and I am dedicated to supporting big-hearted educators to prioritise their wellbeing and take courageous action despite the everyday pressures of school life. Because I want educators to know, you don't have to sacrifice your health, relationships and happiness to be a great teacher. Together, we are going to learn the lessons to help us teach well and be well. Let the learning begin. Hello and welcome to episode 98 of the podcast. I am thrilled that you are here today to explore a topic that is often overlooked when it comes to our well-being and the well-being of our young people. It's our senses. How do our senses impact the way that we feel, the way that we function, and the way that we relate to others? But before we jump into this fascinating conversation, I have a question for you. How has the School of Wellbeing podcast impacted the way that you teach and the way that you live your life? To celebrate a hundred episodes of the podcast, we would love to hear from you. What have you learned? What action are you taking? Which conversations did you have to go back and listen to a second time? All you need to do is send an email or a voice message to hello at openmindeducation.com to share the love. We're here to build a community of big-hearted educators that are taking courageous action. Courageous educators that know to be well and function well requires effort and it's worth it. We are creating systemic change each time we do things differently because we're giving permission for other educators to do things differently too. I was recently talking with a principal and she shared how as a leadership team, they listen to the podcast each week and then it creates really heartfelt conversations and they're getting really honest about conversations that they've never had before about resentment, about complaining, all of these different things that circle around in our minds, but we may not have had a conversation about it. So let me know, how has creating this podcast impacted you and your life? On with today's show. In today's episode, I have the joy of chatting with Belinda Jankowiak. Belinda is an experienced occupational therapist, speaker, and coach. She's the founder of Project Classroom and co-director of the Independence Hub, launching at the end of this year. She's also the mum of four young children and is passionate about every learner having access to classrooms which support their participation. Belinda has worked closely with families and schools for 20 years and understands the diverse challenges educators are facing. Her superpower is her ability to translate science into easy-to-understand and teach strategies which are user-friendly and helpful. In this conversation, we discuss the sensory setup of a classroom, how to create predictable systems to reduce the cognitive load, why movement and brain breaks matter, and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Belinda Jankowiak. Welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Meg. It's just such a delight being here today and speaking with you. Today, we're going to be talking about how our senses 
impact how our students participate in the classroom. Why do you think this is an important topic for teachers and school leaders to consider? Yeah, well, really simply, our senses are how we learn. So at school, for example, we listen to the teacher, we look at the smart board and we feel the pencil in our hand. And it's through our senses that we take in information and understand and interpret the world around us. This process of taking in and using sensory input is called our sensory processing. The element I think which teachers and leaders especially need to be aware of is how different sensory inputs, so things like smell or touch or vision, can either increase or decrease our alertness, which is kind of like our energy level. And this is really important for classroom design. Not sure if this resonates with you, but I have entered spaces and I've either felt soothed or invigorated or perhaps overwhelmed. And a big reason for this is the sensory environment. Belinda, I have walked into so many schools across the country and within 30 seconds, I have a real feeling of what's going on. I have walked through schools where as an adult, I feel unsafe. I feel like I have to watch my back. I have walked into settings where I feel like I feel so comfortable here. I could have a little snooze on that couch and no one would even blink an eyelid. Do you know, and it is, it's just so interesting. Like I even think if I even go beyond schools, I think about I've been into a department store and it's bright and there's lots of fragrances and it's noisy and it's got lots of what I'd call alerting sensory information. And sometimes this lifts me, but sometimes it overwhelms me. And I contrast this to my local library and it's got lots of natural light. It's got a neutral color palette. It's really visually ordered and it's quiet and it's got lots of what I'd call calming sensory input. And I find this space really soothing. So considering the sensory elements of a classroom is so super important for teachers to be aware of because of the impact it can have on changing students' energy level or level of alertness. And when we get the energy level or arousal level right, children will be more ready to take in the lessons that are being taught. It's so interesting that you bring up department stores and stores and for listeners to think about what are the stores that you're happy to spend time in, that you feel comfortable because they're the stores that are more likely to get your money and your investment because you feel comfortable there and you feel like there's a conversation that you have with the staff and you don't feel uncomfortable. So as we apply this to our schools, and our classroom, how does the sensory setup of a classroom impact our students on a day-to-day level? Do you know, I have had the privilege of being invited into hundreds of classrooms since 2018 when I started focusing on this area of my practice. And I've just seen firsthand how different environments impact on the children as well as the educators. And I'd love to share a couple of stories with you about that. I was in a classroom after recess and the bell had just rung and the educator opened the door and went to her desk and was organizing some resources ready for the next lesson. It was a year three classroom and slowly all the students tumbled back into the room and they were wiggly and they were chatty and it was a hot day and there was a small group of boys who were sweaty from playing chasey and were puffing. And within this classroom as well, there was brightly colored displays on the walls with lots of beautiful artwork and there was artwork hanging across the middle of the classroom and it was flapping in the breeze that was um, coming from the air conditioning and also from the open door. 
And then the educator invited the children to the mat to begin her lesson. But you could see the children were having such a tough time concentrating. You could just see there was so much restlessness in the room. And it was like the teacher was just putting out spot fires where she was asking children not to speak or to stop touching the hair of the child in front or stop kicking somebody, kick your legs to yourself. And this fabulous teacher at the front of the room was just having a really hard time engaging the children despite how much energy she was putting into it. And this is a scenario that I have seen a lot where teachers are working really hard to engage the students but not getting the outcome that they're expecting. Gosh, that really resonates with me. I can't tell you how many times I've tried to wrangle classes together and it feels like I am working really, really hard here and we are not getting anywhere. Yeah. And, you know, I just compare this to other classrooms that I've been in and um, it was the same time of the day. The bell has just rung. And as the children returned after break time, the teacher had turned off the lights. There was gentle music playing and there was a nature scene playing on the screen. And the teacher stood at the door and greeted most of the children as they re-entered. And she was reminding the children to have a drink if they needed to. And then on top of these elements, her classroom looked really different to the first. There was nothing hanging across the middle of the room. The colour palette was neutral shades and pastel tones. And there was a visual schedule at the front, which made it really clear about what was happening next. The educator then invited the children to the mat to begin and she started by taking a big breath and commenting on what she saw. And I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was something like, whoa, there are a lot of wiggles in this room at the moment. Let's try and slow our bodies down to get ready for our lesson. And then she invited the children to either sit or stand and sway gently from side to side as they took some big breaths together. And there were varying degrees of participation, but the teacher just seemed to meet them where they were at. And as she was doing this with them, you could just watch the energy move from really excited and distractible to focused and calm. And then she labeled what she saw again. Hmm, it's interesting. Everybody's breathing looks a bit slower now and it looks like your brains are ready for concentrating. Let's get started. And when I think about this second scenario, the investment of energy was still really high from the educator. She needed to have the lesson ready before the students entered. She was standing at the door when they came in. And the overall sensory environment of the classroom was really different. She had a high investment of energy, also high reward from the impact of the steps that she was taking. Yeah, because it sounds like in that second example, there was so much more cooperation because the teacher was meeting them where they are and gently moving them to a new space ready to learn. And there were so many little micro examples that you brought up just in those examples. And the first thing was the idea of artwork hanging across rooms. I know this is not as common in secondary, but in primary, most classrooms that I walk into, there is things hanging off the roof. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So when we're thinking about our sensory environment, we ideally want to create environments which support children to be within their window of tolerance. And what we know about our window of tolerance, it's the zone of alertness where we learn best because our brain structures are communicating the most efficiently. And what we know or what I've seen is when there is too much going on within our environments is what happens is our nervous system gets bombarded. And when our nervous system gets bombarded with too much sensory information, like 
lots of visual displays, what that can do is it can increase our level of energy and kind of move us outside of that window of tolerance. Gosh, it's so simple and yet we just don't notice it. And this is why conversations like this are so powerful because we could be making small tweaks to our classroom that have a big impact. And we're also moving against this current tidal wave of making classrooms look like they're Instagram worthy with so much colour and so much lamination to really pair that back and be quite deliberate and intelligent in the way that we design our spaces for our young people? Absolutely. And I think it's really hard because I think what I'm learning is that teachers are so motivated to create spaces that are beautiful um, and they are working so hard to create really inviting learning environments, knowing where to find the right information and really having a strong understanding of the sensory processing piece and understanding how that can inform how we set up classrooms. I don't think this is widely understood within within our community. Oh, it's definitely not. I see it every single day. And none of this comes from a bad place because we all are doing the best we can with the knowledge that we have. And as you say, we want to create this rich learning environment that's really exciting and engaging. And then we need to take it that next step and think, okay, what is the cost? of having an environment that is so rich and engaging all the time with so many other things that we need to process. And I also loved that you highlighted having those routines on the board because so many classrooms do, but there are times where we sort of forget, we don't really think about it. How important is it to be really clear in our routines? Routines are so super important because what we know is when our brain knows what to expect, it is really soothing for us. I know on the days when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, and I don't know what I'm doing for work first thing. I get a bit dysregulated because I'm like, oh, what is it that I need to get ready? What's happening next? Is it something I like, don't like? And this is true for students as well. When they walk into the classroom and they're not quite sure about where they're meant to be or what's happening next, it can be really dysregulating for their nervous system. So when I think about routines and predictability, we know it's so super soothing for our nervous system. And this is particularly true for our autistic students, for students who've experienced trauma. We know that having a really predictable environment is so super important for supporting them to be soothed and regulated when they're at school. And it makes me feel so soothed when I have a routine. I remember as a secondary student, nothing brought me more joy than getting my timetable. Because once I had my timetable, then I could make sense of what was going to come in that year. And I had the same feeling as a teacher. Once I got given my teaching load, then I could fill in the pieces around it. And it just highlights how important these routines are. And just because we know as educators what's coming up, that doesn't mean that students know what's coming up. And to be really explicit and clear in that. And then also within a lesson, if it's primary or secondary, how do we start it and how do we finish it? Because so often we're rushing in and we're rushing out. How can we create those rhythms where we have a start and a finish? Absolutely. We know that being really clear about all the steps is so important. And I just think about an o- the overall cognitive load for a student. Like I even think about um, when we're delivering instructions to children and we give them all these beautiful steps, 
for them to know exactly where they're going to find their book, where they're going to find their pencil, where they're going to sit, where they're going to find the resources. There is so much load to get themselves ready before they even start the lesson. And I think about how much we can even make some of those systems really predictable and automated to kind of make it so much easier for kids to engage in what we're asking of them. And it requires effort up front to really prepare students to get these rituals and routines happening. However, it's worth it. It's worth the effort. Gosh, I think about, I had this year nine class that when it came time to submit a lab report in science, they just always couldn't get around to it. There was all these monologues. There was all of these things. I cannot deal with these monologues every single time. If you're struggling with a task, if you let me know the day before, I'm going to be open and listening and I will support you. In the lesson, not so much. And we got down to the routine. This Some people may think this is over the top, but we got down to the routine of, I just went through the role and they came up, they put there, it was either a yes or a no, and it was in alphabetical order. So when I got home, I could look at the pile of marking and it was in alphabetical order and we just went through because I didn't have the time to go through all of these monologues. And then as we got through the term, it just became easy. Like we're submitting assignments, it's in or not, let's keep rolling. And it is, it's by automating it, you're making it easier for you as the teacher, you're making it easy for the students because they know exactly what to expect and it's decreasing everybody's cognitive load. And what we know is that our brains are buzzing In our modern world, there is so much information that we're processing. So if we can make systems easier for all of us, then it's going to make it a much easier environment to be in. And when we're thinking about really setting up these spaces, so we've got routines, we're thinking about what's on the wall, what are some other things we can think about when we're creating more sensory aware spaces? So this is a great question. And I think there's probably four things that I'm thinking about when I think about sensory aware classrooms. I think about the sensory environment, which we've touched on a little bit, but I'd love to talk about that some more. I think about um, calm corners or retreat spaces. Uh, I think about sensory tools and how we can introduce them to maximize their success and also movement breaks. And I do want to quickly go back to the original scenarios that I talked about as well. And that there was lots of differences from a sensory perspective, which accounts for why that second scenario was different to the first. But I also wanted to talk quickly about that relationship piece as well. And that act of being really deliberate about greeting and connecting with the children as they re-entered the classroom began that process of co-regulation when the educator used her calm nervous system to soothe and regulate the students. And because we know that the strongest regulating force is always relationships. And I did want to highlight this, even though we're focusing on that sensory lens today, because we need to make sure that all of our students feel safe and connected with us. And what a simple strategy to stand at the door and to use names, to smile, have that eye contact, really welcome them back into the space. It's simple and effective. It is. It's so interesting, isn't it? I think sometimes the simple little nuggets of gold can sometimes give us the best results. So going back to our sensory environment, I I did want to highlight that the strategies that I'm going to talk about today in regards to the environment will typically have more of a down-regulating impact. So if you remember, I talked about previously, we want to create spaces which support children to be within their window of tolerance. 
And the strategies that I was going to cover today will typically have the biggest impact for the students who are already within their window of tolerance or are heightened. So we'll have a down-regulating impact. And the reason I wanted to share this lens today was due to the frequency that educators have reported that they often have students in their classroom who are in this elevated state and that when students are in this elevated state, teachers are using so much of their time and energy resources to support them. So we really want to try and create classrooms which unconsciously soothe their nervous system. And I know we talked a little bit about the visual input previously, and, and I think about that one of the original scenarios that I talked about and how she had her lights off. This was a strategic move by the educator because she knew her students often came into her classroom heightened and that lights off can have a down-regulating impact. There was fewer displays. She had nothing hanging across the middle of her room and her color palette was made up of natural tones and pastel. So we know all of these things have a really beautiful down-regulating impact. I even think about the way that we display our work. I know that I've been into classrooms and there is so much going on on the walls. Even that simple act of having what we call white space between each of the displays, what this does is I think about how important that white space is, that if I was to go to an art gallery and I looked at a wall of art that was just all jammed in, I wouldn't know where to look. I'd, for me, I would start to feel overwhelmed. And this is what the classroom environment can do for students. So even having our work more spread out and white space in between can help with that overall visual load that we're setting up for our students. And even other little simple things about what is happening around our key point of focus. So if educators are predominantly using a smart board, thinking about what is around that smart board because we want, again, students to be focusing on what's on the board and not what is around the board. Even I've seen this a lot as well is when I've been in classrooms and educators have lots going on behind them. I often have seen that teachers have their favorite teaching spot where they stand or they sit and you turn around and there is so much going on. So again, the students are focusing on sometimes what's happening behind the teacher and not on the teacher, which is ideally where we want their focus to be. There are so many things that I won't cover them all today, but even glare, thinking about glare that comes in the windows and it goes onto the smart board and you can almost sit there and feel a bit blinded as you look at the board or glare off of desktops. So just really generally, we want to think about how we can have a down-regulating impact by having less, not more. Linda, you're giving us such an insight into how we can look at spaces in a different way to really get curious about the decisions that we're making. Are we putting these things in classrooms just because that's what we've always done, because it feels good, because it looks good? Or are we being strategic in our placement to support learning? And it makes me think of a time when I was teaching primary PE, which is always a bit of a laugh. Primary PE, there's so much energy. They're so excited. They don't really have all the skills to meet the energy. And it's pretty chaotic. Just to get students on a line, you feel like, wow, we've all on the line. This is great. Fantastic. And every PE teacher knows that if you've got juniors outside, and an aeroplane happens to go over, there's no hope. Everybody has to stop. 
watch the aeroplane, and then we can continue. Because this is what's happening in our classrooms all the time. If there is distraction, if there is other things happening, we're trying to gain our young people's attention amongst all of these invisible aeroplanes all day, every day. So how can we reduce that load so they have a better chance of engaging with us in the learning process? I completely love that analogy. I think it so beautifully describes the impact that all of these different sensory inputs have on our nervous system and how it can be so incredibly distracting. So we've spoken a lot about how we can set it up for our young people. I'm really curious to know, how does our classrooms and the spaces that we're working in impact us as educators and leaders? Do you know, I think my first point is going to sound so super simple that we really want environments which soothe and regulate teachers because it's important for their well-being. I've been in classrooms which have got humming fluoros, brightly coloured carpet, have are noisy due to poor acoustics or have terrible glare from the morning sun. And these sensory elements can affect the teachers as much as the students. And secondly, I want to acknowledge the enormous amount of time spent by educators co-regulating students and that this has a really high emotional demand on them. So it's essential that we consider all the ways that we can support students to be regulated. And a big piece of this is the environment around them. We want to unconsciously soothe students and minimise sensory triggers because the more regulated the students are, the less educators will need to support them with co-regulation. And when this happens, we're reducing the overall load on the teacher, which is important for their well-being and their continued emotional availability for their students. Gosh, I'm thinking about some times where I've taught in some really dysregulated spaces. And by the end of the day, I was just done because I had been holding so much. And then once I removed myself from that environment, I was exhausted. It was shocking to me just how tired I was because we can forget how much energy it requires every day to show up, be present, to be in spaces. And if we can start to be a little bit intelligent in how we use our spaces, that may release some pressure. I know as a casual teacher, and casual teaching is quite an interesting experience because you walk in, you've got no relationship with anyone, and you have to work really hard to get students on board and colleagues on board. And there were some spaces that by the end of the day, I had a headache just because the setup of the room, where I think their teacher that was in there day in and day out may not even notice. They may just think, oh, I'm just getting a few more headaches this year. But I noticed from school to school just how I felt at the end of the day, sometimes based on the acoustics in the room, if I was in a demountable or in a room that had really good panelling. Absolutely. We know that the auditory impact of the environment is huge for educators and for students. And it's interesting because when I think about the auditory environment, there's two things that I think about which isn't always known by to the people that I speak with about this. And this is the environmental noise, but it's also the reverberation and both of those elements are really important. So when we're talking about the environmental noise, that's the things like the scraping chairs, it's the chatter of the voices, it's the humming lights, the paper rustlings, the footsteps. 
So we know that there's always going to be environmental noise, but we also know there's the reverberation, which is the all of our environmental noise bouncing off of our surfaces. And it's often the reverberation piece, which I see as a huge challenge. And sometimes what I do is I might be in a classroom and I kind of duck down to the students' levels and I notice and I look around to see what all the students are doing and their voice volume. And what I sometimes see is that even though the students are actually talking quite quietly, the classroom still feels really noisy. And this is often a clue to me that reverberation within that space is a problem. So for teachers listening to this podcast, and they're starting to identify there are a few things in their spaces that they could tweak. When it comes to the teacher's perspective, what are some simple things that we can do to really help us settle ourselves so we can help settle our learners? So from an environmental noise perspective, so how is it that we can decrease the noise in the first place? And, you know, even really simple hacks like putting stoppers onto the bottoms of chairs so you don't hear the scraping is huge because if you've got 26 students pulling their chair in and out, we're taking away that piece. I also think about whether we have explicitly taught different voice volumes. And this is really important, not only in the classroom, but it's also important for students when they're walking outside of classrooms, because, you know, that adds to the environmental noise within the classroom. If we can hear that chatter in the hallways outside, And the second piece is that reverberation lens. And so that reverberation is the noise that's bouncing off the surfaces and how can we minimize that? So I know that putting in acoustic treatments isn't always a possibility, but I would say if educators have a concern about their classroom being too noisy, I think that as a community, We need to continue to raise awareness of the impact of noisy environments because we know how much it impacts on the students and the teachers. But while we wait for money, because money isn't always available, thinking about other soft furnishings that we can add to the space. So things like carpets, rugs, bean bags, couches, we know that all of these elements have sound absorbing qualities. Belinda, you have been such a wealth of information and given us a whole new way to look at our spaces. And when we caught up before this chat, you brought up the idea of the classroom being the third teacher. And I think that is such a powerful invitation for us as educators and school leaders. How can we set up our spaces so they're working with us, not working against us? I really love when I get to have these conversations with school leaders and with educators around small tweaks that have big impact. And I know that I've been in classrooms where even that simple act of removing work hanging across the middle of the room, it's almost like this exhale when you walk in because it just feels so different. So it's, it is, it's these These things really matter um, from a sensory processing perspective. And these are the things, there are so many things that we can have an impact on. Belinda, to wrap up this beautiful and thought-provoking conversation, I'd love to invite you to finish four sentences. Are you up for that? Absolutely. I am inspired by? Do you know, I'm inspired by people showing up and doing hard things. This is one of our family mottos and it can be big or small. So I did my hard thing this morning at 5am when I got out of bed and exercised 
it was cold and it was raining, but I did it anyway. So I just am so inspired by the process of watching people to show up and to believe in themselves, even when it's hard. When life feels hard? I go for a walk in nature. An underrated skill is? Gardening for me. I just love how mindful I am when I'm out in my veggie patch and pulling up my weeds and noticing what's growing and eating what I've planted. I am looking forward to. At the end of this year, I'm launching another business called The Independence Hub and it's something my business partner and I have been working on since January. So I am just so excited and so looking forward to this other element in my business life. I cannot wait to see what you bring to the world, Belinda, because these conversations are going to get more and more important as our world becomes busier and busier we're going to have to take some bold action to create spaces that really settle things down and allow us and our young people to be in deep connection, to learn, to grow, to thrive. So thank you for the important work that you're doing and thank you for being a guest on the School of Wellbeing podcast. Thank you so much, Meg. It was just such a delight. I am sure that you will agree with me that Belinda is a wealth of knowledge and we have just scratched the surface. I hope this conversation has inspired you to set up your spaces in a way that works for you and not against you. To learn more about Belinda and the incredible work she does in the world, see the show notes for more details. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with anyone you know that would benefit from listening. Has the School of Wellbeing podcast had a positive impact in your life? We would love to hear from you, what you have learned, what action you're taking, which conversations you went back to and listened again. All you need to do is send an email or voice message to hello at openmindeducation.com. To learn more about the ways that I can help you and your school community thrive, visit my website, openmindeducation.com. There you can book me to speak learn about my game-changing wellbeing programs or download my five three-step energy guide. You can find all the links from today's episode at openmindeducation.com forward slash episode 98. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week. Until then, take care and take deliberate action.